watershed. We invite you to stand uh, and a happy Palm Sunday to everybody. So great to see all of you here as we celebrate Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Go ahead and extend your palm to someone, please. All right, we're going to continue worshiping the King of Kings in song. Please join us as we sing. from heaven you came 
Zechariah 9, verse 9, which prophesied about the events of Palm Sunday. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. We're here to celebrate, here to celebrate that Christ came in uh, and the people shouted Hosanna as he approached.
invite all the kids up through third grade today to come on over by Miss Lori and heading off, heading off to children's worship. Jesus, thank you for this day. Help us all to have a good last day of spring break and help us all to learn more about you. Amen. Amen. All right, see you, little, little friends. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see uh, some of you back. I mean, there were a few of you here last week, and, and I want to say to those folks who braved, you know, West Michigan spring break, thank you for braving that. The rest of you, you're weak. You're weak. You've got to go to Florida and all those other places. Come on now. No. <laughs> Welcome back. Um, it's good to be able to worship together. I'm Aaron. I'm campus pastor here at Watershed, uh, part of Heart of Wake. Um, one thing I realized, I didn't mention out loud last week. It went out in emails. Um, but uh, I just, I didn't say anything. We had some good news. Uh, Drew Timmer is going to be joining our staff as our watershed worship leader. So we want to praise God for that uh, this morning. And as I mentioned uh, before, man, we could not have gone through this season without Matt's leadership, um, without our team continuing to step up each and every week, people who have just gone over and above um, I can't thank them enough for leading us each week, the energy, the efforts. Um, we just have a phenomenal community of people. Um, so whether it's you make coffee in the morning, whether you even fill in last minute in children's ministries, like um, there are days when we, we don't know what's, you know, somebody's like, uh, hey, Lori, I'm sick. She gets that last minute phone call and then somebody steps up to, um, do, do you know we have, we have like high schoolers and even middle schoolers who are helping in our children's ministry um, to walk alongside of those who are teaching. So, I mean, we just have a great community of people who are given energy and effort in all kinds of ways uh, to bake goods coming in. You just don't even realize that we don't just have, you know, good donuts, good Bowerman donuts, all right? We have all these other great baked goods too, so... Uh, no, we just want to celebrate that. Um, otherwise, I uh, want to just bring your attention to the fact that, yes, it's Holy Week, as Matt mentioned. It's Palm Sunday today, Sunday where we celebrate Christ coming into Jerusalem. And it kicks off this Holy Week uh, in our tradition, in our faith. And while we celebrate Christ as King, and they celebrated Christ as King they didn't understand him to be the king that he was. And we're going to talk about that in just a brief moment. Um, but in this day, we celebrate. On Maundy Thursday, we celebrate here at Heart of Wyke. We're going to be celebrating at 7 o'clock in the red brick building in our great room. Uh, that's where, if you've been around here, if you go and you see kind of that glass entryway that it's really hard to get to right now with Lakewood under construction. <laughs> um, 
but we enter in over there. Seven o'clock, we'll have uh, time to celebrate really the crucifixion, the cross of Jesus. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll be back here uh, to celebrate the resurrection. And in fact, every Sunday, I don't know if you knew this, here's a fun little snippet of church history and what we look at Sunday morning is considered Resurrection Sunday every week because we believe Jesus was raised on that Sunday morning. That's why we celebrate and join together in worship because we, we know we serve a Jesus who is risen and alive and breathes his life into us. So with that being said, let's go to our God this morning in prayer. Our God and Heavenly Father, uh, we look to you. We celebrate you again for being our king. Lord, that we can sing that truth that you're never going to let us down. Father, I know this morning as we read your word, we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that we may feel let down at times. Our expectations, our understandings, God, frankly, are limited of you. You're an unlimited God. If we could understand every nuance and piece of who you are, you actually wouldn't be God. Because to be God, you have to be beyond what we could ever ask or imagine you to be. However, when we come into this Holy Week and, and every Sunday as we celebrate your goodness, your life, God, we do so because of Jesus. And in Jesus, you made yourself known. You showed yourself the fullness of who you are. You walked on this earth. You showed us what it looked like for you to live in relationship with people, to care for the sick, the poor, the outcast, ones whose hearts were broken. Lord, to those who were religious and believed you wanted to bring back into a more right and true belief. But all of this, God, was so that you could breathe your life into our lives. And so again, Lord, we ask this morning that you would breathe your life into us by your spirit, by your presence. God, as we ask that, we continue to think about those in our community who need that life right now. There are a lot of folks who are dealing with cancer, Lord. We think about Sean and Jim, for Elaine, for Phil, for Doug, for Dan, for Pete. God, as they're all going through treatments, as they're praying along the same lines we pray right now, God, for healing, God, we pray that your goodness will sustain, your peace will overwhelm, will guard their hearts. Lord, we think about Mark and Julie right now, and, and God, we want to continue to lift up Mark and, and a couple weeks back, just what seemed like a regular outpatient procedure, Lord, and now waiting for potential heart surgery. God, thank you that you, you have begun to restore his health, but Lord, we pray that you would restore him fully. Thank you. Thank you, God, for, for having held him and, and, and continued to strengthen him each day, but Lord, we pray that you would, in your mercy, strengthen him more and more. Father, we think about families in our community as we've lost families and loved ones. We think about the Lettingas and the Bartles and the Tamingas. We think about the Ratterings and the Walcotts. Lord, as all of them have lost family members, 
Lord, we think about the passing of Sharon and her life. God, for Gordon, his life. God, all we can ask is for your compassion. For you to show up and minister to the hearts and the minds, Lord, of your family and friends. Lord, strengthen, renew, and give your hope. Lord, as we come near to Easter, we're reminded in Easter that death doesn't win. That you have opened up the gates and you've restored life eternally. Not just life here on earth, but life eternally with you. And so, Lord, may that hope continue not only to anchor our brothers and sisters who are grieving, but that it would anchor us each and every day. Father, as we think about all of these needs, we know there are many more needs just around the world. We continue to pray for Ukraine. Lord, we continue to pray for a ceasefire, for a changing of hearts and minds of Putin and his leaders. We pray for a safety for families that have fled. We thank you, God. Oh, God, for all of the families in surrounding countries that have opened up their lives and their hearts. We thank you for missionaries who have gone over. We thank you for monies that have been provided for food and clothing for support. Lord, this is truly, it takes a global effort. But Lord, we pray that you would break down the swords, as the prophet once said, into plowshares. That you would shut down the tanks and the planes. God, that you would make bombs not work. God, that there would be freedom. Lord, thank you that we can come to you. Thank you that we can pray to you. Thank you that we can talk to you about what is going on in our lives. Thank you for caring. And so again, Lord, as we come into your word, teach us, lead us. Give me the words that you would have us to hear. God, anything that's not of me, I pray that you would just get rid of. And that each of us would hear from your Holy Spirit what we need to hear for this day. That we'd be encouraged in your truth. We'd be changed by you and your presence. And that your life would abound in us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. We've come to uh, the end of a series throughout this, this Lent journey, a series that's been entitled Enough. And in this series, we've followed how God has rescued the people of Israel in the book of Exodus. So the second book of the Bible, again, kind of if you're reading your Bible, not familiar with the Bible, it's a very thin part. Genesis, Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And uh, God had heard their cry, heard their plea, rescued them from the, the, the global superpower that is Pharaoh and Egypt. And then all along, God provided, not only showed his power, but provided for Israel throughout what was a couple-year journey, um, just under two-year journey in the wilderness. Today, we're coming up to the point where God brings them to a promised land. And I thought this was fitting for Palm Sunday because as we think about Palm Sunday, that morning Jesus rode in on a donkey, his intention was to lead us into a promised land. 
to lead us back into relationship with God, to free us from the things that bind us, that hold us, to free us from the grip of the devil, from Satan, from sin, from brokenness, from despair, from loneliness and isolation, so that we could be restored to God. But oftentimes when we, we make that journey, it, it's not quite always the way we think it was. See, on that morning, we're not reading the story this morning, but if you go to it in Matthew 21, that's a great place to read this today if you want to read the Palm Sunday story. People took these palm branches, which signified, and when they laid them down, signified some of this, this acknowledgement of Jesus as king. They took their cloaks, threw them down, and they celebrated him. But they thought Jesus was going to come in and wreak havoc on Rome and set them free just like the Maccabees did a, a, a hundred years earlier. And they're going, yeah, we're going to be free. What they didn't realize is this Savior was going to die on a cross and set us free from the tyranny of the devil, not simply of Caesar. He was going to do something more, right? They didn't expect it. Well, much like that story in the book of Numbers, Israel comes to the promised land. And I'm thinking that they're thinking, this is going to be easy, right? By now, this is easy. God promised we're going into the promised land, and this is going to be great. However, that wasn't the situation, and that wasn't the circumstance. And then Israel being Israel, and let's be honest, us human beings being who we are, we're kind of a fickle bunch sometimes. Amen? I know we don't like to admit it, but I give you permission to admit it, okay? <laughs> we don't always hold true to what we think, and what we think is really what I'm going to call this morning a God variable or a wild card, right? How many of you play a little, little poker here or there, a little, you know, different, different card games? Any, nobody's going to raise their hand. <laughs> okay, yes, I play poker, okay? But, but there's something about a wild card when you're playing poker, when you, right? It is a, a wild card changes the way you play, doesn't it? All of a sudden, the minute you think you're down in the dumps and you get that wild card, it's like, even with Uno, it's the draw four. Yeah, all right, right? It, it's that moment where you're like, ooh, the strategy has changed. My outlook has changed. What, when I have this in my hand, or if you sit there and wait for it and never get it, right? You're like, oh, man, my life stinks. <laughs> right, that variable that wild card, oftentimes the wild card in our life, especially when it comes to following God, is not God, right? The God variable isn't that God changes, it's my belief in him that does. What I think about God changes, what I believe about God changes, sometimes for the good, sometimes not. See, it's that variable, though, that determines oftentimes our life. And how we live. So I want to invite you. We're going to dive into Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So the fourth book of the Old Testament. They're on the edge of the promised land. They've just sent 12 spies into the land. And for 40 days they've searched out this land. And they came back with a report that said there are, they brought grapes back that people literally had to like carry. Multiple people. I don't know about you. That is not the kind of grapes I'm used to carrying right? I mean, they, if you got multiple people carrying graves, this is lush. This is goodness, right? So they saw the beauty of the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. However, they also saw that it was a land full of giants, a land full of terrorizing people. 
And in that, ten of the spies said, there is no way we can go in. And two said, no, but we got God. We can. Let's pick up. Numbers 14, starting in verse 1. That night, all the members of the community, all the members of the community, so word has gotten out from the ten amongst the whole tribe of Israel. They raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now when they grumble, their grumbling isn't just a little bit of whining or complaining. They have it out for somebody. Their grumbling is actually seen as, as sort of a slanderous attack. So they, they grumble against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Right? This has been the story throughout the Exodus journey. If only we had. They can't get Egypt out of themselves. This false idea of where they come from. And we're just, if only we had died. Why is the Lord, now listen to what they're saying about who God is. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Right? They're saying something about who God is in this question. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder, right? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Right? Almost two years later, they're still yearning to go back to where they cried out to God to save them from. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh. Those are the two spies who disagreed with the ten. They were among those who had explored the land. They tore their clothes. So they wept. This is wrong. They said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, right? This isn't actually a conditional language here. They're actually making a statement. The, God is actually pleased with us. Like, we believe in a God who takes pleasure in who we are. He'll lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. So not only is God a God who's pleased with us, but he has a power to work for us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Right? Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. They believe in the presence of God. So they believe that, that God takes pleasure in them. They believe that God is powerful enough to save them. They believe that God is actually present with them. This is what they've learned through the wilderness story. And they say what? Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Right? Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe me in spite of all of the signs I've performed among them? So you know what? I'm going to strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I'll make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Right? God's like, I'll get a remnant. That's fine. I'm tired of this. A couple of years of dealing with these people in the, in the wilderness. Every chance they take, they think I'm a joke. Right? Every opportunity, they question who I am. They don't trust. They don't believe. It's right to think that way. 
God's right to feel that way. But here comes Moses. Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians, though, will hear about it. From the very beginning of this story, God, God was going to show his, his, his glory to the Egyptians. He was going to show his goodness to them and, and know through that the word would go to the world of what God would do. He said, Moses says, the Egyptians will hear about it. By, by your power, you brought these people out from among them. And they'll tell the inhabitants of the land about it. They've already heard that you, Lord, are with these people and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face. That your cloud stays over them and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nation who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord wasn't able to bring these people into the land he promised by oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Right? Moses leans into the fact that he goes, here's the reality. I'm just saying from our human perspective, God. <laughs> I love the interchange here. If I just pause. That, that God actually allows human beings to wrestle with it. Jacob wrestled with God in the wilderness. Like, we can have an all-out honest conversation. And while God is God and knows all things, he allows us to bring our humanity to light in front of him. And just go, hey, yo, this, I'm just telling you how, I know you know how human beings think, but let me just let you know how human beings think. They're going to say, you couldn't do it. Now, I don't know what's all involved in this. This is the mystery of God has a right to have his ego. He is the God of the entire world. Whether we like it or not, we do have to deal with that part of God. God is in all of this for his own glory. But you know what? If he created the world for himself and loves it, we know that that desire is always out of goodness. Nonetheless, Moses leans into it. So listen, they're going to question you. They're going to wonder. But listen to what Moses does next. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. And he goes back to what we heard last week. God's name in greater definition, his character in greater detail. The Lord, your Yahweh, who is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. God, isn't this who you are? Yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Right? He knows that God will still visit those who have sinned and he punishes. He visits the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Verse 19, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Right, Joshua, Caleb... As they look into a promised land, they lean into the power and presence of God. They lean into the pleasure of God for his people. Moses, in seeing that the people have sinned against God, leans into the love of God and the forgiveness of God for his people. Right? They trust in a different story, whereas Israel, their perspective of God continues to be one that they think God is just playing a massive joke on them. Right, we face a little challenge. I don't know if they think that God is just, you know, put the quarter in, pull the trigger, boom, yeah, we got it. Or go to the vent, maybe better yet, go to the vending machine and go, I want Snickers, C5. Put two quarters in, C5, I got my Snickers. I don't know what they're thinking, but I do know this, that every time they face challenges, every time their circumstances got hard, they didn't believe in God, they questioned him. 
Right? And all of this leads me to wonder this morning, what influences your particular perspective of God? What is the thing that influences that God variable in your life, your perspective of God? Is it circumstances? Right? Is it the situations of your life? So I believe certain things about God based on what I'm going through. That this moment dictates my understanding of who God is. Or obstacles, right? Some of us believe that if I believe in God, it'll just make life better. Right? It'll be all hunky-dory. Woo! Roses. No. (laughs) But we learn throughout Scripture that Jesus said, yeah, in this world you're going to face trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Right? There's still a tension there. But for Israel, for whatever reason, every time they faced the obstacle, they questioned God's character. However, in our story today, we see what? Joshua, Caleb believe something different about God. They've come to know the stories of God that when they've faced obstacles, God has parted seas. When they've faced obstacles of not having enough provision in the wilderness, God provided food. For over, at this time, almost two years worth of time, God has provided quail at night, manna in the morning, giving them food where there is none. Where he gave them water when they didn't have any. Right? Moses, who's seen God be patient, leans into that patience in the face of the obstacle. Right? Is it the unknowns? Sometimes my fear of what will be then determines who God is or if God is for me. You know what, God, if you were really for me, then you'd tell me the whole story that is to come. Now, I don't know about you. This is what I know so the, though so far about my life. If you had told me, just say, let's just go 10 years back. I won't, I won't jump the whole, you know, as a kid type thing. I mean, as a kid, if you told me that I, everything that I would have had to go through to get to here today, oh my goodness, I would not have wanted to live this life. 10 years ago, I don't know if I would have wanted to know what I've had to go through these last 10 years to get to where I am today. I'd, I don't know, but oftentimes that's what we want from God. Right? We, we, we expect God to not leave us with any questions. You should just tell me everything I need to know. <laughs> and you're like, yes, tell me everything I need to know or want to know. Right? But do our unknowns determine or the what ifs? Right? We see in Israel, they're going to take our women and our children. <laughs> right? <laughs> How do you know that? So far, God's character over these last couple of years has been, uh, God seems to hand out all of the, you know, <laughs> all the flooding, all the wiping out, if I need to plunder the women, and ch- right? God tends to take care of all of that. But for them, they go, the what if instantly leads them into the negative. About our expectations, right? Another way of saying that is my expectations of God. What do I expect of God can oftentimes determine what I believe about him. How about God's word? Like capital W, God's word, Jesus. We know if Jesus is the fullness of God in human form, does he determine who we think God is? Does the Bible, God's words, his story, does this determine who God is for us? How about God's character? Right? What is 
again, Moses lean into. Moses goes right back to God's very name. So God, is, isn't this who you are? Now God will punish all of those people who then said no. In fact, he said, you're going to stay out in the desert. For every day you are in the promised land searching it out, you're going to spend a year in the wilderness, 40 years. And everyone who said no to me, by the way, you've tested me 10 times. Just a few verses later, it will be, you have tested me 10 times. 10 times is a, is a word that kind of, it, the number that represents wholeness, the 10 commandments. It's the whole of the law, the 10 plagues. It was God's whole just pouring out. And he gave Pharaoh 10 opportunities. But now Israel has tested him 10 times. And he goes, you are going to be disciplined for this. Everybody who turned their back on me isn't going to enter. Joshua, Caleb, they will. And your children will enter, but not you. Right? In that, Moses, though, leans on and goes, I know, don't blow them off the face of the earth. Do we lean on God's character? What about our experiences, right? What have we been through? What have we walked through? How do those dictate who God is? Our leaders or people of influence who are the people that influence? What do they say about God? They determine oftentimes what we think about God and even traditions. On a day where we think about palm branches, and I remember as a little kid swinging them back and forth and getting in trouble for smacking my siblings in the face. You know, and the older ones beat me up later. <laughs> Younger ones could do nothing about it because I could still beat them up, right? <laughs> but our traditions lead us and teach us. I've been reading a, a book for one of our upcoming podcasts. We do a podcast called Fear and Trembling Podcast. It's with Darwin, Bill, JB, myself, the pastors here, and um, we're actually going to be talking with Dee. Ha <laughs> ha. Dee's excited about being on the... <laughs> but reading a, a book by Tish Harrison Warren, and she writes on prayer, but she recalls a story of her friend Julie, and Julie's about ready to bring her son Hunter in to have surgery. And I, I just want to read this story for you because I think she captures a lot of what we're talking about here. Julie looked, she recalls, Julie looked at Hunter and said, we have to decide right now whether or not God is good. We've got to decide right now whether or not God is good because if we wait to determine that by the results of this surgery, will always keep God on trial. Right? As she's going in to bring her son into surgery, she understands the truth that we have to under, we got to know what we believe before we go in. Otherwise, God will always be on trial. Trish, she writes this, if the question of whether God is real or not, or of whether God is a kind of kind or indifferent or something else, is determined slowly, solely by the balance of joy and sorrow in our lives or in the world, we'll never be able to say anything about who God is or what God is like. The evidence is frankly inconclusive, right? Because we're always going to be shifting. If the story of my short life and feelings determine God's character, then he is Jekyll and Hyde. This way of approaching God becomes a never-ending game of poker. There it is. There's that wild card. 
For every breathtaking splash of a whale's breach, I raise you a forest fire obliterating acre after acre. For every monarch migration, I raise you ticks spreading Lyme disease. For every mother enraptured by her child's first smile, there is another mother whose newborn struggles for his final breath. For every inspiring act of human goodness, there is another person scheming against the weak. In all our lives, from the happiest to the most tragic, the circumstantial evidence for God's goodness is divided. There is beauty and there is horror. She'll go on later at the end to say this. When Julie sat in the hospital waiting room, as the surgeon carved her son's tender skin, she committed herself to deciding whether God could be trusted regardless of the result of the surgery. She had to decide if she believed these claims that Christianity makes about God's goodness. She quit the poker game. She folded her cards and decided to trust a God who did not guarantee that bad things would not happen to her or to her son. But this was not an arbitrary decision, and it's not for any of us. Right? It's not a leap in the dark. God was not simply, or she was not simply ratcheting herself up to affirm the goodness of God in spite of contrary evidence. She did look to evidence, though not the evidence of her life, nor the tally of the total amount of good in the world versus the total amount of evil. Instead, she looked at the life of Jesus. It's on this story that she anchored her decisions about whether she would trust God without knowing what would happen next. So often, Israel played that game. We play that game of poker. We decide, we make decisions about God. We live our life in light of those decisions, and it is up and down and all over. Because our perspective of God, that God variable, what we believe about God, affects how we live with God and with others. Right? The reality is, if I believe something about someone, if, if they're a shyster, right, I'm going to believe that about them. I've made that choice. They can do nothing to prove to me any different unless I let them prove that to me, but I'm still the one in control over that narrative, aren't I? If I choose to believe the best in someone, that's my choice to make. It isn't anyone else's and it's not determined even upon them. It's my choice. So often we blame others when really the, we're the ones making the decision. Israel was the one making the decision about who God was. And we know that because Joshua and Caleb made an entirely different decision. Moses, Aaron made an entirely different decision. And God interacted with them differently. But what we believe about God affects who we are. And we've got to deal with it. This brings me to watching Pirates of the Caribbean this week with, with Bella. And we've been watching through all five movies. But it, all the way back at the beginning, Curse of the Black Pearl. And uh, Captain Jack has just met Will Turner. right? And they, they've had their little fencing duo in, uh, where... Will was creating swords, and they get out on the ship, finally. 
And, and Will's going to fight him one more time, and Captain Jack does his old little, you know, pirate move, and Will doesn't like that pirates don't fight fair. But Captain Jack talks to Will about his father, Bootstraps, Bill Turner, and how he was a pirate. And this is what he says. Now, as long as you're just hanging there, because the, one of the masts had swung, and, you know, that was how he cheated. <laughs> but, hey, all's fair in a fight. He said, the only rules that matter are these. What a man can do and what a man can't do. For instance, you can accept that your father was a pirate and a good man. Or you can't. Right? You can accept that your father was a pirate and a good man. Or you can't. That was a tension Will couldn't live with at first but had to deal with throughout all of the movies. Right? Pirates in your blood, boys, so you'll have to square with that someday. Now me, for example, I can let you drown. But I can't bring this ship into Tortuga all by me onesie savvy. <laughs> you know, I, I can't quite do that. We'll, we'll just leave that there. <laughs> so can you sail with a pirate? Or can you not? The decision we make about God is ours and ours alone. Will we believe in a God who defines for himself who he is? Or we, will we continue to make our definitions the reality? How do we then reduce some of that God variable? How do we live more like a, a Caleb and a Joshua and what they've come to know? How can we begin to dive into what Moses began to see? These are just some thoughts for you this morning. I think the first one is to get to know Jesus, God's word. Because Jesus is the picture of God. Thinking back to, to Tish Harrison Warren, Warren and what she shares with Julie. Julie looked in the face of Jesus in order to carry her through her son Hunter's surgery. That if our God is really a God who would be a king who wouldn't just go fight Caesar. He wasn't as concerned about fighting Caesar as much as he was about fighting the devil and rescuing us from death. Restoring us to, to life. Who would, who would be a God who would die for us, sacrifice himself for us so that in his resurrection we would have life. Like, is that the story of God that we see? One who has compassion and kindness, who shows forgiveness and mercy. Who isn't afraid to challenge the status quo when the status quo is giving a different picture? And will we let God's story be our story? Another thing we can do is we can pray honestly. Again, I love the reality of the humanity of, of Moses and throughout the whole Exodus story, that'd be a whole sermon series in itself of Moses' conversations with God. Because <laughs> sometimes you'd wonder, man, God seems kind of sketchy. But see, that's the tension that we see in the Psalms. The Psalms are full of prayers, honest prayers. So much so that even in one of the Psalms, it's a smite, you throw their, dash their children upon the rocks. Like, oh, you're allowed to pray that? What? <laughs> but maybe if Israel had said, God, we're scared, we're concerned, we don't know, there's a lot of what ifs. God, we don't, we don't have the power, we, something, we see something bigger. To, maybe they could have seen a God who was actually present with them and relied on that. See, that's honest prayer. It says, God, you're, you're present with me, you're for me, you're not against me. So you know what? I can talk to you about anything. Just like those friends, those family members, right, who stick with us. I know I can talk to them about anything because they've shown me they don't leave me. 
not only do we, can we pray honestly, but I think we pray the truth too. You see that in the Psalms. There's this relentless holding on, trusting the Lord, even in the face of the what-ifs and the questions. There's this holding out of hope, even when it feels like everything is hopeless. But we pray that truth over and over. Maybe we take some of these prayers from the book of the Psalms and let them become our prayers. But we hold on, God, this is, your, this is what's true about you. And so, Lord, we speak that to you, but we also speak that to ourselves. We reflect and remember. I mean, one of the things I think Israel missed is they forgot to remember. They, they forgot all of the moments that God had, had already shown them. He already says that in Numbers 14, right? Is haven't you seen the signs and the wonders? Next week, we're going to celebrate communion on Easter. In communion, we remember, we literally join ourselves to the story of God's rescue of his forgiveness, his freedom for us so we can rest in his goodness, in his grace. But that takes work. That takes slowing down. It takes paying attention. I think that also leads us to when we work towards cultivating gratitude in our lives. That when we start to see the things that, that we're grateful for, I mean, you, th- you can even be- begin to start going, you know what, man, yeah, I'm going through something now, but think about all the ways God has saved me today just by making me aware of something, by a light change at just the right time. Uh, I mean, you name the things that God has done to be thankful for the breath that I have to breathe, to thankful for a community that I have to be able to spend some time and talk about Jesus with and hang out with and sing together and just spend time together, right? When we cultivate gratitude in our lives, it changes our perspective. And it also helps us see the goodness of God more and more. And then like Captain Jack's wisdom to will, we're either going to accept the fact that God is who God is or we're not. You're going to have to reconcile that one. Either your dad was a pirate and a good man, a good man and a pirate, or or he wasn't. For Julie, she had to accept either God was good or this present circumstance says something different and with that will we take God at his word or will we make him out to be a liar Israel made God out to be a liar Joshua Caleb Moses took God at his word and they lean in and I love that story I think that's the freedom of Moses he leans into who God is he shows me that this morning may not understand every nook and cranny. I may not understand God, why God is impatient in this moment when he should be long-suffering. I don't know. But what I do see is Moses leans into who God is and God shows mercy because he leans into who God is. And we're invited into that relationship with a God who never changes. My belief may. That's the God variable, but God doesn't. I want to end just with two passages of scripture here. One is um, from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. God says this, I, the Lord, do not change. That's a promise for us. I, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. 
That's a good thing. My not changing keeps you from getting smitten off the earth. (laughs) Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. That's, again, part of God's character. Come back to me. I'm here. I'm ready to come back to you. And we're reminded of this unchanging God in Jesus in Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So who is God to you? Is God who God says he is? And what we see in Jesus? Is God truly the king even though he goes to a cross? Is God the one who will defeat the enemy and bring us into a promised land even though it looks like the odds are insurmountable? Or is God really just playing a joke on all of us? That's the question of faith. That's the question of trust and belief. The beauty is God will invite us and invites us into that journey wherever we are. Whether we have just a smidget, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief, whether you've been in the journey for a long time. He welcomes us in faith into who he is. Will we go? Will we join him? Let's pray. God, thank you that in your, your mercy, your goodness, your unmerited favor, Lord, that you have welcomed us back to you. That is King who went to a cross. Lord, we remember on Palm Sunday, may not have been conquering Rome, may not have been conquering the enemy like we thought, but it was conquering the enemy. It was loosening all of our chains. We all have freedom this morning because of what you've done, Jesus. That is an objective truth. Whether we believe it or not, we are all free. We have new life. We live and move and have our being in you. Whether we believe it or not. The question is, God, will we? Will we trust in you? Will we hold on to you? Will we, we let that truth be the truth that gr- grounds us and guides us, that impacts us and changes us, that encourages us? Will we let you, God, be who you are? Help us to see you more in the face of Jesus. Help us to see you more in the truth of Scripture. Help us to see you as we talk to you in the quiet of our hearts and our minds as we drive in our cars, as we speak in, on our knees with hands folded and eyes closed. Lord, as we celebrate in conversations with friends around tables, as we worship you, show us more of who you are. And again, Lord, help us to have the courage and the trust to lean into who you are to believe that you take pleasure in us. Your power goes for us. Your presence is with us. That your love and your forgiveness continually breathe life into us. God, we need you. 
to be who you are, not simply who we think you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We invite you to stand and sing with us.
God save us. Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. Jacob, Yehoshua, God saves. That's the story of God. I pray that you can believe that. I pray that you'll give yourself to that story. I pray that story becomes yours and breathes life in you. Again, celebrate with us this week. Thanks for celebrating with us this morning. Maundy Thursday, 7 o'clock. Friday, um, we're going to have an opportunity to prayer. If you want to go to our website, we're praying for Ukraine. All day, there's a way you can sign up, and we want to have somebody praying every 20 minutes for 18 hours, um, pray, praying that God would bring some saving to those in Ukraine and into Russia, and in turn, into our world. And we'll be back here Easter morning to celebrate once again the story of God who saves. So with this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord smile upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, amen.